so, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started talking about uh, sonship, and we're going to keep talking about it. And um, we looked at some stuff in John 17, and so our oneness and togetherness were keys in Jesus' prayer for us. We're going to look at those verses again today. But this idea of sonship is really important, because it's, it's really the term that, that we use um, to describe a biblical model for healthy relationships. That's what it's really all about. It's about how do we relate healthily to one another. And when you relate healthily to one another, you actually get to enjoy a satisfying and meaningful church life. Lots of people, sadly, don't really enjoy a satisfying and meaningful church life, um, mainly because they've never been taught how to relate, and they've never been given a proper model of how to relate to each other. Because the, the satisfyingness is in the relationship. It's in the sharing, it's in the togetherness, it's in the community, it's in the family, it's in all that. Because if you don't get taught it and you don't get modelled it, then you can't do it. Um, and often we talk about sonship, which of course is, is a male thing, but that's only because it's language the Bible uses, which is primarily because that was the thing you did 5,000 years ago. Nobody had this idea that a woman was going to be in charge. Uh, wrongly, of course, but eventually the humans caught with God and allowed women to be what women are. Um, but in truth, 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, a son got all the inheritance, a son got all the good things. And it would be expected that a son would lead, a son would follow, a son would do all those things. So, of course, if I use father, son, I also mean mother, daughter. Um, God is mother and father, and you ladies are daughters, but you're also sons uh, in that sense. I'm just, and it gets a bit awkward going father, mother, son, daughter every single time. But I think you know my heart. So let me just review some of the things I said two weeks ago. First of all, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again, live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then Galatians, Father, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls our Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children, and since you are his children, he has made you heirs. So, two places. The primary purpose of showing you those verses is to remind you that it says the spirit you have received. This is something you have already got. It's already been given. It's already been imparted to you. You already have it on the inside of you. It says God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So the seed of sonship, the ability to walk in this thing we call sonship, is not something you need to cry out for or ask for or beg for. You already have it. It sits within you. But what we've, we've said is that this spirit of sonship means we are children. Because although you have a seed of sonship on the inside of you, it needs the right conditions to grow. You can have a, a great, wonderful seed, but if you don't water it and put it in some decent soil, nothing happens to it. And of course, you have the ability to grow up into this incredible sense of relationship with Jesus and with other people, but that will depend on how you grow it. We also talked about how amazing it was that God chooses to relate as father and son, and that God is by very nature father and son. And we said that don't mean that, and this is really important, that don't mean that one's superior and one's inferior. It don't mean one's better than the other. I, the father and the son, to me, they are co-equal in power and glory, eternally equal in every way, but they choose to walk together as father and son. And there is no hierarchy. It's not like the father's in charge and the son's just completely subservient. 
although he is. But that's because he chooses to be, not because the Father makes him. That's the key thing. Because the truth is the Father and Son operate in a relationship of equals to serve each other in particular ways. They are equal, but they choose to serve one another in different ways. And so what happens is, because of course sonship is really about understanding right relationship with God and with one another. And to, be a, to, to operate in sonship is to operate in healthy biblical relationships, which is why we need a model. And the model is the father and the son, who are equal together. But one chooses to submit to the other. One chooses to serve the other. And one does not make the other submit, and one does not make the other serve. They're equal. And they understand their equality, but they understand that in their equality they take on different roles, which is what you see in a biblical marriage. They're equal, but they choose to take on different roles. And when they take on different roles, and they learn to love one another like the father and son love one another, it works really well. Are they equal? Yes. Do they do different things? Yes. It's quite simple in, in one sense, really. And of course, we understand that I might, I might choose to put myself under somebody else on the earth, but it's my choice, not theirs. I might choose to submit to somebody on the earth. They might choose as my wife to submit to me as I love her as Christ died for the church, which is the harder job. I have the harder job. I've got a lover as Christ in the church, in which case he died for her and gave everything up for her. And only when I start to live like that can I even think that she might want to do that. And so in all these relationships, this submission is always a choice to somebody that loves. It's never any, nobody's making anybody do anything or expecting anybody to do anything. It's about you choosing to do what you believe is right, given the example of the Father and the Son. The other more startling truth, perhaps, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago was the truth that the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. He loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Father God does not have a favourite. His favourite is not Jesus. His favourite is not the great people you see in the Christian world who you think are wonderful. They are not his favourites. He loves you and them and Jesus all the same. He cannot be a pure love if he has a favourite. He can't be a pure love if he favours one person over another person. If Jesus calls you a brother, which he does, then you are an equal brother. You are not the black sheep of the family. You are not the brother who has to be invited to the party because you've got the same DNA. You are in the party because he loves you. And you're an equal co-heir with Christ. It's, it's littered all through the Bible when you look at it. So, sonship is in us. Also the heart of the Father's in us. That's all in John 17 from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and of course, the heart of the Father is we will be like Jesus. And if we conform to his image, which it also says, then surely that means we've got to learn to see as he sees, to love as he loves, to communicate as he communicates, and to express ourselves as he expresses himself, and to value what he values and do what he does. That's what it means. And when you think about Jesus, it's vital you remember that everything he did, he did as a son to a father. That was his starting point. To be like him means to embrace all that he is, and, and he related to the father as a son. You can't separate out his life on earth from his life with his dad. It was all one thing. He goes to far as, Jesus goes so far as to say this, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. So Jesus is not down on earth going, oh, 
I'm going to do whatever the heck I want today. But neither is the Father going, you're going to do everything that I tell you to do. Jesus is going, I love my dad. And I know my dad loves me. And I'm going to listen and see what dad wants me to do. Because I know when I do what dad wants me to do, it'll all work really well. But there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing forced. There's no manipulation. There's no pressure. There is just submittedness between these two people. If we're going to learn anything about sonship, the starting point must be here. There can be no sonship without a relationship with the Father. Nor can there be any true sonship without a deep humility and submission to the Father. In fact, you could say this. You've only achieved the depths of true sonship when you understand you can do nothing by yourself and you give yourself only to doing what the Father does, which we probably won't get to on the earth. But that's the goal. Surely if we went to be like Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. He didn't do anything other than what the Father did, and he understood he could do nothing by himself. And of course, that's not always easy for us, because we want to build our own little egos up and show that we are really wonderful and fantastic, and we can do all these things. But the only reason you can do anything wonderful is because he made you and put it in you. The only reason you have any gifts, talents, abilities is because he gave you in the first place. And so you can... You can know that you can do some things, you've just got to know it's through him and because of him and in him. Because he started it all. Because without him, you won't be here. But that's the end game, that's the goal. A life given o- so given over to the Father that no single move or word is made without reference to him. And of course, that doesn't mean you're constantly going, what do I do next? Blue socks or red socks? Oh, I'm not sure. Okay. That means that because you know him, you automatically operate like him. It's about a relationship. You know what to do because he's in you and he's part of you. You don't need to constantly ask him. Plus, he's probably going, I don't really care. Just put some socks on and go and talk to somebody about me. No, but think about it, really. We waste a lot of time, don't we, sometimes? But there's nothing about the way the Son of God lived on the earth, all lives now in heaven, that can be separated from the life of the Father in him. All his joys, pain, sadness, sorrow, suffering and triumphs are wrapped up in his identity as a son to the Father. Everything about his life is wrapped up in his relationship with his dad. And that, of course, is our model for what it means to be a son. It means to aim for a life like that. That all our joys, pain, sadness, sorrow, suffering, triumphs are wrapped up in our identity as a son to a father. Do we cry when the father cries? Do we smile when the father smiles? Or do we cry when the father's not right bothered about it? Do you understand me? Like, does, it does, does what affects him affects us or does what affects us not really affect him it is what's really important to us what's really important to him and of course that gets shown up you can, if you want to know that you can just look at where you spend your time and your money and that will tell you everything you need to know about how much the life of the father has impacted your life it's wrapped up in his identity as a son to a father tons of us kind of Ask all sorts of questions about who we are and our identity. And you realise there's only one title that matters. You're a son or a daughter to the king. That's the only title that really matters. Of course, you may well be a, a friend, you may well be a wife, you may well be a father, you may well be a grandfather, you may be a this or that or the other, but the only real identity that matters is that you were a son or a daughter to the father. Because that is your identity. It is who you are. And out of that comes everything else. But that's the only thing that really matters. Who are you? I'm a son to the Father. That's the, that's the, when you get to that point where that's your answer, not because somebody told you it, because you actually know it, 
it like, it's so releasing. Well, I'm a son of the Father. The Father loves me and I love the Father. That's the end goal. That's where we're, that's where we're heading. The truth is that, is that to be saved is really to be a son. I know we've made being saved all about like saying sorry to Jesus and becoming a Christian, but that's like day one. That's not being saved. Being saved in its fullness is knowing you're a son to a father. Okay, let's explore something about what this thing might mean. So, 1 John and chapter 1. So this is the same guy who wrote all about the verses about Jesus and being one. He's now writing some letters to some friends. And he says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that we also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. So John's writing a letter, and he, he wants to be in relationship with some people. He wants some fellowship, some time together. He wants to share with them. So he says... We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that we may have fellowship, so you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and, the, and Jesus. In other words, it's all the same thing. It's not like we have a relationship, and then I go over here and I have this relationship. It's like, no, it's all the same relationship. It's all together. You cannot separate out your relationship from, from Father God and Jesus from these relationships. It's impossible to separate them out. Because it's all interlinked. It's not possible to have true, full relationship outside of the Father. It's not possible to have a relationship with Jesus and be a hermit. It's just not possible because if, if you're a hermit and you're living all on your own, well, that's you and Jesus, which is two of you. And God said perfection's three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's got to be some more to it. There's got to be some more to it. And, and you, you read all through this word, you see that, of course... You read more of John's letters, and he says, or James rather, and he says, actually, you can't say you love God and don't love other people. It's an impossibility to, to say that you're going to love me, but not then love other people. It has to flow out of you all around you. But John makes it even clearer. You see, lots of people strive and long for intimacy with Jesus, but they're not too keen on intimacy with other people. But you can't have one without the other. They are the same thing. Look at this. Look at these verses. Verse 21. That, so he's praying for, for everybody that's going to come after him. All of them may be one. How does he want us to be one? Father, just as you were in me and I am in you. And then he goes on, verse 22. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus' prayer is not just you might have a nice time and go for a coffee with somebody. He goes, the intimacy that Jesus and the Father have, he wants that for you and me together. That's his actual prayer. Well, that will require some walking together in relationship. Because if you're going to love one another like that, you see, I'm going to remind you again of how the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. That is meant to be our aim on the earth. That's the goal. The goal is that you might not only know that the Father loves you as a son on the earth, but actually other people on this earth love you in that same, almost same way. They'll never get there, but they're going towards it. The point of the Christian faith is you might live in love. And I realise for many people, because they've lived in relationships that are far from that, it seems impossible. It seems ridiculous that I can even say that sort of thing. But... When I read the words of Jesus, that's what he says. And that's where I'm going. I want to be able to love people in ways they've never experienced before. 
And I want to know loving ways I'm yet to experience from other people. Because I think that is the fullness of it. Can't just be about God loving me like that. I mean, God can't give me a hug, can he? God can't send me a text message to encourage me. God can't. There's a few things God can't actually do without you and without me. I know, I know some of you kind of struggle with that thought, but it's true. He's very reliant on you and me. If you, if you are a person who, who, for physical affection, is really important, you need other people. God can't do that. He just can't. You're either completely disagreeing or pondering. I'm hoping you're pondering. Listen. The oneness the Father and the Son have, Jesus prays it would be the same kind of oneness you and I and we have together. He prays, I have given them the glory that you gave me. My phone's gone, Josh. You're going to have to take over the slides. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that we may be one. And we said last week, we, two weeks ago, that, that whole idea of giving glory, that, that word means opinion. And so Jesus basically goes, Father, the opinion that you have of me, I've given them. In other words, God thinks about you exactly the same as what he thinks about Jesus. That's what he means. I didn't hear many thank yous. You weren't listening two weeks ago, were you? You've got to say thank you when I say that. Because most of you go, stick two fingers up at me in your head. I know. It's all right. I was there. It's okay. Let's be, not, not pretend about it. So the alternative to actually get there is to go, okay, I'm going to put those two fingers down in my head and I'm going to go, thank you, Jesus. Because you have to get this stuff. You see, you know that I know it because you can see it in me. I know it more and more. But you have to know it and you can know it. And I got to know it by going, thank you. That's all I did. When I say things like the Father loves you just as much as he loves the Son, I went, thank you, Jesus. Even though both fingers were sticking two fingers up at what the person was saying inside, I went, I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to go, no. I want to know that I'm loved like that. I want to know that the Father looks down and goes, Adam, you are amazing and awesome. Oh, look at my son there. He's so smiling and happy about me. He loves it. Let me remind you, about how the father feels about the son. The father loves the son deeply and passionately. He cherishes him above all. As far as the father is concerned, there is no one like his son. He is the apple of his eye. He watches over him and holds him in loving, tender embrace. Nothing is too good for his son. He entrusts all things to the son. As far as the father is concerned, the son is so central, so important to all that the father is, that unless a man receives the son, he cannot come to the father. And the Son, well, the Son of God loves and reveres his Father, honouring him in all things and above all things, chooses only and ever to live for his Father. He came into the world in obedience to his Father and lived his whole life upon the earth in that same submitted obedience. He was totally surrendered to the will of his Father. For the Son, the Father, is the centre of all things, and Jesus constantly appointed people to his Father and would spend many hours and long nights seeking his Father. They are completely devoted to one another. And Jesus prays that we might learn to be one in the same way the Father and Son are one. That's what he prays. In the same way. Or to put it another way, Jesus prays we might love one another in the same way the Father and Son love one another.
You see, the heart of God is that we would all return to true relationship as he originally designed it. People walking together with each other and with him in true oneness. And again, have you got Hebrews 2.11 there, Josh? There, there isn't much of a distinction between this idea of relationship with God and with one another. It's all holy. Both the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and those who are made holy, you and I, are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters because you're part of the family. So Jesus is not going, oh, that brother Adam I've got, flipping neck, he's a pain in bum. I wish he wasn't around. He says Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother. Well, if he's not ashamed, he must be pretty proud then. He must be delighted about the fact that he calls me his brother. And if it's true for me, it must be true for you, because it says you and I. Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or his sister. Jesus is proud to call you his brother and his sister. He's proud that you're part of his family. He's delighted that you're in his family. And as part of this family that we're in, the invitation is to walk in oneness with those around you as the Father and Son walk in oneness together. But this oneness, this oneness is about unity, not uniformity. So uniformity is about all being the same. Unity is about being having the same heart. So it's not about uniformity. It's not about looking the same, sounding the same, acting the same. That's, that's different. The Father and Son are not uniform. They are not exactly the same, but they are one. They don't look the same or sound the same or do the same things, but they have the same heart and they are one. Although they express themselves differently, they express the same heart, the same vision, the same mind. That's what it means to be one. And this oneness is not about some people being like another person. Well, it is actually, but it's a person called Jesus. It's about everyone towards working of being like the Son. So Philippians 2, verse 2 and 5 then make my, this is Paul writing to the Philippians, make my joy complete. So in other words, I'm, al- I'm already happy for you, but you can make it, even, make it complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Jesus Christ had. Well, of course, for that to be possible, you'll have to learn to walk as Jesus walked. You'll need to learn reverence, honour, obedience, submission, Surrender. But as you learn those things and live out those attitudes and values, you enjoy oneness. And when you read Genesis, you see that God's, God's way is to walk and talk to develop relational intimacy. God's way is a way of deep personal friendship, a desire to know and to be known, for hearts to be knitted <coughs> together. And it's a way of love that can only be fully expressed in the kind of intimacy that comes from those who have learned to trust, to honour, and to be at rest in the presence of another. Relationships, where there is acceptance without the need for an agenda, or demands, judgments, or expectations. It's a way of love that can only be fully expressed in the kind of in- intimacy that comes from those who have learned to trust, to honour, to be at rest in the presence of another. Relationships where there is acceptance without the need for an agenda, or demands, judgments, or expectations. That is not unachievable. It is not unachievable. Is it difficult? Yes. Will it take hard work? Yes. Is it achievable? Absolutely, because I already have some relationships that are like that. 
Has it taken hard work? Yes. Has it been painful? Yes. Has it involved a great deal of submission and pain and all the rest? Yes. But do I know what it is to be one with a few people? Yes, I do. To a degree, to an extent. All that can be true of your relationship to the Father. That's part of what it means to be a son because before you can learn to do it with other people, you have to learn to do it with him. Trust him, honour him, be at rest in his presence. A relationship with him where you know you're accepted, where he makes no demands or judgments. You see, I know, because you're a human being, that everything within you, when you hear that, goes, that sounds amazing. I'd love that. And then another part of you goes, really? I realise that that's how we are. But my only conclusion from reading Jesus' prayer that we are to be one as he is one is that's what he wants for us. And Jesus don't put things in front of you and make it impossible to do. So it must be possible. It must be possible. If he thinks that a prayer that they're going to be... It's not like Jesus is praying a prayer that he doesn't believe can happen. He's not going to go... He's not just recording a nice prayer so you can feel better. It actually is his heart. And he has faith to believe it can come to pass. If only there'd be a people that would be willing to walk in those ways, to learn to trust and to learn to honour and to learn to be vulnerable and to learn to submit. If those people could walk like that, that must be possible. It is possible. So there's learning to do that with him. But that's part of it, because as well as enjoying that depth of relationship with the Father, we're also designed to enjoy that type of relationship with other people. But in order to enjoy that sort of relationship, we must be mature. And by mature, I mean mature as defined in the Word of God, which has nothing to do with your knowledge or age, but everything to do with your ability to relate to other people and Jesus. I've said many times that being spiritually mature means able to love. And of course, an ability to love means to be able to relate. You see, Jesus, he was able to interact and relate with everybody he came across highly educated rabbis and Pharisees and uneducated fishermen, he could relate equally with them. People who were struggling hugely with mental health issues, he could relate to them. People who had physical disabilities, he could relate to them. Blind people, he could relate to them. People of different genders, different faiths, different cultural backgrounds, he could relate to them all. Why? Because he was mature, relationally mature. Mature in love. Have you got 1 John 2 there, Josh? I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So it seems like John kind of outlines, and it's not very clear in the English, but he outlines four levels of actual maturity. Have you got the next slide there, Josh? He talks about children. Uh, he talks about children twice, but in Greek it's different. One is the word for babies and one is the word for children. So he talks about children, your sins have been forgiven. Or babies, rather. So if you know your sins have been forgiven, that means in, in the Christian walk, you're a baby in the Christian faith. That's wonderful. You know your sins are forgiven, you know, and you're coming. The next thing is to be a child is to know the Father. So you start to know the heart of God. If you're strong, the word of God lives in you. In other words, you know the word of God and you've overcome the evil one, so you've fought some battles and some trials in your own life or you're a young person. Well done. The problem is most of the church think that's the pinnacle of it. 
well, I know the word of God and I've fought some battles and I've overcome. I'm fantastic. We release all sorts of people like that into leadership, except they're the young people who, in Greek, are aged between 20 and 40 in a physical way. Of course, age has got nothing to do with it. But then there are fathers and mothers. And they know him who is from the beginning. Who was from the beginning? The father and the son were from the beginning. You see, children know the father. But those who are fathers and mothers know the two were from the beginning, which is the son and the father. In other words, they know how to be a son and they've learned how to be a father as well. Relational maturity is, first of all, realizing that your sins have been forgiven, then getting to know the heart of the Father, then becoming strong, getting to know the Word of God, it living in you, you've fought some battles in your own mind, in your own lives, and then there is knowing Jesus and the Father who are from the beginning. It's not about age or knowledge, it's about knowing. It's about being loved and known, because to be loved is to be known, and to be known is to be loved. Fathers and mothers are those who know the heart of the son and the heart of the father. They know what it is to submit, to obey, to honour, to trust. And they know what it is to love deeply and passionately and to cherish others. They know what it is to watch over others and hold them in loving, tender embrace because those things are all things the father and the son do for each other. They know what it is to submit, to obey, to honour, to trust. And they know where it is to love deeply and passionately and to cherish others. They know where it is to watch over others and hold them in loving, tender embrace. One of the saddest things has been the lack of people, generally in the church at large, who can actually help people grow up into all they are called to be. But this is not a new problem. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 15 This was a problem 2,000 years ago. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. A lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong. But there aren't many fathers and mothers willing to take the time and effort to help you grow up. Sadly, it's still as true now as it was 2,000 years ago. We need people who are able to help us grow up, who can model what it means to relate. There's no point telling somebody that Jesus is always there for them if you are always there for them as well. Time and time again, I have met with people who have told me that they said that people have told them God were always there for them, but everybody gave up on them. Well, that's pretty hard to believe in a God that doesn't give up when everybody around you says they love God and says they're a Christian does give up. How else are you meant to see God? How else are you meant to see the heart of a father? And of course, what's really interesting is that in every one of those times, when you talk more, you go, well, did they have anybody to look after them? Did they have anybody? Did they have anybody to turn to? Did they have any? Oh, no, they were just trying to do it on their own. Okay, well, it's just not possible to do it on your own. And of course, their hearts will look after and care, but, but eventually, if, if you've got nobody put it into you, if you've got nobody to share the difficulties and the challenges, you will get to a point where you're stretched too far and your elastic will snap. In order to just protect yourself, you'll back off. And of course, those people, they were, they were loving, they were caring, they were doing the best, and nobody had ever showed them 
Nobody ever modeled to them what it meant, so they just did what they'd previously done. And probably went, I'm not going to do that, but they got to a point where actually they couldn't cope anymore because they had nobody to look after them. Maturity in this thing we call the Christian faith is measured by our ability to relate to one another and love one another, nothing else. Spiritual maturity is relational maturity. It's about our ability to love one another. And I realize, I realize, in order for this stuff to be true, it's got to be shown. It's got to be modeled. Because lots of people can teach it, but if it's not modeled, it don't mean anything. If it's not a reality. I, I, I can only now actually preach this stuff. I could have preached the stuff of being a son probably five years ago. I, I couldn't preach anything else because I hadn't experienced it and I hadn't lived it. But I know that I've walked with people for four or five years now. And other people longer, but particularly people who had been hurt before four or five years ago who said everybody gives up on me. And I know that I'm still walking with them now. And I know that I've said, as long as you want me here, I will be here. You are free to go. I'm not making myself be here, but if you, I'm here. And I'm still here. And slowly those people are realizing that God is there and is constant because somebody represented him to them and was there and was constant. Did I get it right all the time? No, tons of mistakes. But I'm human and I'm learning. But at least I'm still there. At least I stuck around. But why did I stick around? Because I had a model of somebody who stuck around for me. And I had a whole lot of people around me who when it got tough for me, I went, I can't quote right now, would you just step in and just look after this person this week for me? Would you just... I made a right mess on the phone. Would you just ring them up and remind them that they're loved? Because they won't hear it from me because I've just hurt them. I've just been a total idiot and acted out of my own pain and tightness. But would you just call them and just let them know they're loved and remind them that I'm human and that I do love them. I just made a mess of it. That's why we need to be a whole team of people looking after one another. We can't do it on our own. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. But together we can do it. And if together we decide to walk together and do it, it's the most beautiful thing. And it's a possible thing. If you want to know how far you are on your journey of sonship, you can ask yourself some questions which are all about your ability to relate. When a relationship gets tough, do we stick it out or walk away? Now, of course, in all these there are some caveats. Some relationships are toxic. Okay, I'm not suggesting you just stick it at a relationship that's toxic. Okay, but so understand that I'm not going to caveat every single thing. But in general, the small things. Do we seek solutions and answers looking inwards first at our own hearts? Or are we quick to blame everyone else for the struggles in our relationships? <coughs> are we easily offended? Do we seek or avoid accountability? Do we know where it is to be honest, open and transparent, first of all with ourselves? Have we learned to be gracious towards others, thinking of others above ourselves? And not, not just when it like matters. Like, you know, when it's your birthday party, are you thinking about other people? When it's your wedding anniversary, are you thinking about other people? Or is it just that day to be all about you? Do we remain committed to relationships and deal with issues as they arise, or do we move on? The journey of sonship is learning to relate to the Father, Jesus, and to one another. It's not an easy journey. And, and you know why, because if it was easy... 
every church would be full of that sort of thing and everybody would know about Jesus. But because we've not, in general, managed it, we have nothing different to show. We have nothing different to show the world, generally. Because everybody still falls out with each other. People leave because they get upset. and I'm going to be a three-year-old and throw my toys out of pram, even though I'm 48. As you can see, I'm a bit past that. But No, but really, like, we've got to have something different, haven't we? We've got to be able to show something different, not just talk something, but actually show something different. Where we can actually go, yeah, I've walked with this person for 15 years, and I've walked with this person for... And yeah, we're very different, and we think very different, but you know what? We've learned, and they've taught me tons of things, and I've learned to love them, and they love me, and it's just a beautiful thing. This is what you've got to remember. Oh, two things. First of all, don't beat yourself up where you're not. Okay? All right, I, I put the ultimate up there, right? So you're all going to feel a bit bad about that. That's fine. I'm with you, all right? I'm in your boat. It's okay. But you don't beat yourself up for where you're not. You just go, okay, this is where I am then. What does that mean? And you all live, because you're human beings, in relationships. So you have every opportunity to go, okay, well, that, you know, Phil, Phil would just tell me earlier on that, you know, he spent most of his week in his office with each of his staff coming and complaining about his other staff. I said, that sounds like being a teacher in a primary school. He said, yeah, pretty much. But, um, <laughs> but of course, that's life, isn't it, for most people? Well, let's not be the people who go and moan to our boss about, let, let's show... You know, let's in our work environments and our home environments, let's start doing something different then. It's not complicated, it's not difficult. Most of you already know what to do when you have the seed of sonship on the inside of yourself, so if you just bother to listen to it for a moment, it's right there. And don't worry, there's, there's tons of messages coming all down the line about some practical stuff as to what it means to do this stuff. But for now, I just wanted to show you that That's where I'm going more and more. And it's where I want us to go more and more. And it's possible. For some of you, you've just got to go today, I'm going to accept the truth that that might be possible. That's okay. That means you're moving forward on your journey. Others of you need to go, okay, yeah. Because, you know, God's talking to you all the time about your relationships. You know in your own heart that person that's really done your reading this week and you've wanted to smack them. It's okay. That's all right. Again, I'm human. I understand. So just go, okay. Instead of smacking them and complaining to whoever I see about them, maybe I could do something different. Maybe I could learn to show something different. Maybe I could learn to do something different. It's a journey that's possible. And the wonderful thing is that it brings great benefits to you and those around you. I've said it many times, but everything good costs hard work. It's just called life. Nothing, nothing particularly good comes particularly free and easy. It's just life, isn't it? But, but it's possible. It's possible that you could have relationships where you are completely at ease, where you don't feel a burden to be something or do something or say something. It's possible where it's a, a relationship free of the kind of expectations and where you don't feel judged and you don't feel condemned, it's all possible. But it will require you to do some things. But it's nothing you can't do because it's already in you. So you've already got it. Shall we pray?
you, Lord. I'm going to pray these words to Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I thank you that those words of you are not a ridiculous idea that is unobtainable, but is your heart for us. There is your heart that as your sons and daughters, we might walk together in greater depths of intimacy and oneness. And Father, I am asking, Lord, that through these next coming weeks and months, Father, that you would accelerate that process. Lord, for everybody that wants it, Father, Everybody that wants it, Lord, I'm asking that you would accelerate that process in them, Father. That as we go through this year, Father, and we start hearing and learning and listening, Father, not just from me, Lord, but from all the other ways in which we hear and listen, that you might teach us, Father, and that we might see, Father. I'm asking that we might see the benefits, Father, of what it means to live in that place. Father, I want to thank you that you modelled it for us. You gave an example of what it might mean. And I want to thank you for that example and that model in Jesus' name. And I want to thank you for all those who model it for us, Father. Those who have gone before us, Father, who are no longer with us and those who have gone before us that are still with us. Lord, I want to thank you for them, for their model, their example, their way of life, Lord, that makes it a reality, Jesus. Thank you, Father.